On November 20th, 2020, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services released final rules amending the regulations to the Stark Law and anti-kickback statute. As part of our analysis of the regulatory sprint, we're exploring the most significant changes and the impact they could have on your organization. Today, we'll be discussing reducing the burden, noteworthy changes to the anti-kickback statute. As part of the HHS regulatory sprint, OIG proposed a number of changes to the anti-kickback statute safe harbors that apply separate from value-based care. What are some noteworthy changes to the anti-kickback statute safe harbors that reduce regulatory burden, Caroline? OIG finalized a proposed modification to add greater flexibility to the personal services and management contract safe harbor by removing the part-time schedule requirement and the aggregate compensation set in advance requirement. Now, only the methodology for the aggregate compensation needs to be set in advance. These changes will result in many more arrangements, such as per hour payments, fitting squarely within the safe harbor. OIG also finalized its proposal to expand and modify the local transportation safe harbor mileage limits applicable to rural areas by expanding the mileage limit to 75 miles and for transportation related to patients discharged from inpatient facilities, removing any mileage limit. What happened with the proposed new gain sharing safe harbor that would apply outside the value-based context, Drew? Thank you, Caroline. The OIG finalized its proposal to create a new outcomes-based payment safe harbor to protect payments outside of a value-based enterprise context. As described in the final rule, the safe harbor is intended to protect arrangements that reward improving patient or population health by achieving outcome measures that effectively and efficiently coordinate care across settings or by achieving outcome measures that appropriately reduce payer costs while improving or maintaining improvements in the quality of care. As such, this new safe harbor appears to be designed to protect gain sharing arrangements. To qualify for protection under the safe harbor, the payment must be triggered by achieving one or more legitimate outcome measures that were selected based on clinical evidence or credible medical support to improve quality, reduce costs, or both. While the safe harbor allows for measures that maintain improvement, measures that merely reward the status quo would not meet the safe harbor condition requiring the parties to select legitimate outcome measures. In commentary, the OIG clarified that the safe harbor does not necessarily preclude product standardization arrangements, provided that product standardization measures selected by the parties do not limit a party's ability to make decisions in the patient's best interest and meet the other terms of the safe harbor. Further, Process measures supported by strong evidence of improving an outcome may serve as a component of outcome measures. For example, an outcomes-based payment arrangement may measure an agent's compliance with certain steps of a care process, such as providing mammograms, to improve a specific health outcome. The OIG also revised its proposed definition of outcomes-based payment to clarify that the payment may either be a reward for successfully achieving an outcome measure or a recoupment or reduction in the payment for failure to achieve an outcome measure. The parties must periodically assess and revise benchmarks and remuneration under the arrangement as necessary to ensure that any remuneration is consistent with fair market value in an arm's length transaction. The safe harbor would not protect arrangements that are solely based on reducing internal costs, which is the way that many gain sharing arrangements have historically been structured. The OIG expressed concern that such payments, while potentially generating efficiencies, pose risks to patient care that outweigh the potential for the arrangements to further care coordination and efficiency goals and so in the final rule. So as often as the case, a non-safe harbor arrangement would be subject to the normal facts and circumstances analysis and other elements of the safe harbor may provide guidance for how to structure the arrangement. 
The safe harbor protection is not limited to a particular list of arrangements or particular types or structures of arrangements or measures. Instead, the OIG has taken a broader approach by providing additional protection to a variety of stakeholders with the stated goal of facilitating innovation in designing compensation arrangements that are value-based. However, the OIG has made certain entities ineligible for safe harbor protection for outcomes-based payments, including but not limited to pharmaceutical companies, pharmacy benefit managers, laboratory companies, and DME POS companies. One important topic in healthcare right now is patient engagement, or how to get patients to become more engaged in their healthcare, coupled with technology that helps facilitate remote patient monitoring and telehealth. How did the OIG address this issue in the final rule, Tony? Thanks, Drew. The OIG finalized what they call the Patient Engagement and Support Safe Harbor to protect certain tools and supports provided to patients in order to improve quality, health outcomes, and efficiency. Many of the examples of OIG discussed in the rule were technology-related, such as providing devices to patients to help them stay on their treatment plan and or send information to the patient's physician. Importantly, this safe harbor is only available for certain eligible value-based enterprise participants uh, to provide tools and supports to members of their target patient population. As Drew mentioned, certain entities are excluded from taking advantage of the three VBE safe harbors, such as drug and device manufacturers and DME post suppliers. In the patient engagement safe harbor, however, OIG created a more limited pathway for non-physician-owned medical device or supply manufacturers to contribute digital health technology to patients through the value-based enterprise. Eligible digital health technology has to be used for the purpose of coordinating and managing care. This safe harbor has numerous limitations, including that the remuneration is recommended by the patient's licensed healthcare professional and furnished directly to the patient or their caregiver by either the VBE participant that is a party to the arrangement or its eligible agent. The remuneration also has to be directly connected to the coordination and management of care uh, and must advance goals of prevention or management of a disease or condition, ensure patient safety, or adherence to a treatment, drug, or follow-up care plan. The provider cannot use the availability of the tool to market other reimbursable items and services. Um, and importantly, the tool or support that we're talking about has to be an in-kind good item or service and is limited to a $500 annual cap uh, to the patient adjusted for inflation. Um, there was some interesting discussion of gift cards in the preamble to the rule uh, and, and OIG clearly expressed some concerns about gift cards being used for non-permissible uses. Uh, OIG did state that gift cards, in order for gift cards to be structured, to be used consistent with the safe harbor, any potential use of a gift card must be limited. Uh, regular gift cards to large retailers without restrictions on eligible items or services for use would not fit within the safe harbor. And finally, the ability of the tool or support cannot be determined by the type of insurance of the patient and that medically unnecessary items or services do not result from providing the tool or the support. I mean, as we can see, OIG has created a complex safe harbor here, but one that could provide a pathway for VBE participants 
to provide certain tools, including digital health technology, to its target patient population with the goal of improving outcomes. James, what other technology-related changes were in the final AKS rule? Thanks, Tony. As you noted, technology featured heavily in OIG's final rule. For example, OIG also created a limited pathway for certain non-physician-owned medical device and supply manufacturers, as well as certain entities and individuals that sell or rent DME posts to contribute digital health technology to a VBE or VBE participant in reliance on the no-risk care coordination arrangement safe harbor. This is separate from the patient engagement safe harbor you just mentioned and requires manufacturers and DME post suppliers to meet all the conditions of the care coordination arrangement safe harbor that other VBE participants have to meet. Plus, they cannot condition providing the digital health technology on the recipient's exclusive use or minimum purchase of any of the manufacturer's or supplier's items or services. Given the overlap and complex interplay between these rules, device and supply manufacturers and DME post suppliers will need to carefully review and structure any activities under these safe harbors. Relatedly, manufacturers and provider organizations will also be interested in the revisions to the warranty safe harbor to protect warranties covering a bundle of one or more items and related services, provided that the bundled items and services are reimbursed by the same federal healthcare program and the same federal healthcare program payment. And the warranty remedy is limited and capped at the value of the purchase bundle. Although manufacturers are not generally eligible for protection of value-based arrangements under the value-based safe harbors, the revised warranty safe harbor provides a potential avenue for manufacturers to offer value-based arrangements through structuring warranties to guarantee product performance in conjunction with services intended to enhance clinical effectiveness. OAG also finalized a safe harbor to protect donations of cybersecurity technology and services, including certain cybersecurity hardware. This new safe harbor reflects a recognition of the ever-increasing cybersecurity threats that the healthcare industry faces. While similar in many respects to the existing EHR donation safe harbor, there are a couple of notable differences, including the fact that recipients are not required to contribute to the cost of the donated items and services. This should help reduce burdens associated with fitting in this new safe harbor. Speaking of the EHR safe harbor, OIG finalized many proposed changes to it. Notably, OIG removed the sunset provision, thus making the safe harbor permanent. In addition, OIG finalized a pathway to permit certain donations of replacement technology, added flexibility in terms of the timing of certain required recipient financial contributions, and clarified that this safe harbor is also, also protects related donations of cybersecurity software and services. Finally, OIG finalizes proposal to interpret and incorporate the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018 statutory exception to the Beneficiary Inducement Statute, which permits certain providers, physicians, and renal dialysis facilities to furnish telehealth technologies to certain in-home dialysis patients. McDermott will continue to provide thought leadership on various elements of these final rules in the coming days and weeks. Please visit mwe.com forward slash sprint ready for more information.